This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Whether you want to place a trade on Twitter or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your favorite platforms and devices. See what's new at tdameritrade.com innovation. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and joining me in the studio is fellow Motley Fool analyst, Nick Seipel. We're pre-recording today's show to air on Tuesday, September 11th. Hey, Nick. uh, Great to have you back, man. It's great to be here. Happy to be on uh, talking to you. So, you have how many podcasts under your belt? Is this your second one, or have you done a few others? This will be number two. By the end of the week, we'll have three down. I feel like it's getting easier? I'll let you know after the end of this one. How about that? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Really glad that you could hop on uh, so we can return to our discussion, though, of the live events industry. So, two weeks ago... We previewed the initial public offering of Eventbrite, and check out that episode if you haven't heard it yet. But the short elevator pitch for the company basically goes like this. You have this fast-growing event planning and ticketing platform that targets what they call the middle market. and It's a pretty big bucket, and as the CEO describes it, not birthday parties and not Taylor Swift at Madison Square Garden, but everything in between. And Through its platform, Eventbrite, uh, they generate revenue by charging a fixed and variable fee per ticket for paid events, not to mention the additional fee they generate if creators use the company's payment processing. New creator signups and the subsequent loyalty uh, to the platform are encouraging, uh, but we did have some concerns with essentially the ramp up and out of the Eventbrite ecosystem that the most successful creators will naturally experience if they reach a level of success that brings them uh, to the biggest event venues. Gist of the Eventbrite uh, story there. Uh, you're exactly right, Vince. I mean, they're, they have the middle of that market. And today we're talking about Live Nation, which is the top end of that market, which is going to be an interesting comparison between the two companies. Exactly. So the question ultimately lies in whether or not investors need to be worried that Eventbrite's most valuable or profitable creators inevitably move on to the competition. And that competition is who we're going to talk about today is dominated by Live Nation ticker LYV. And in the Eventbrite prospectus, they highlight the fact that they had 700,000 creators uh, use their platform to organize 3 million events and issue over 200 million tickets last year. I'll just present you the flip side, right? For Live Nation, we scale everything up significantly. So for that same period, 2017, the company served 580 million event goers, sold over 500 million tickets, and that's with a ticketing client base of about 12,000. Those clients being these massive stadiums, pro sports leagues, theaters, more. What is the their secret sauce. Um, you've alluded before to how Live Nation um, sort of has its fingers in all aspects of the industry when we were chatting about the company before the show. But what does that look like exactly? Sure. Well, whereas Eventbrite was a company that's mainly focusing on the ticketing aspect of a live event, Live Nation really touches every part of putting on a live event. So that comes from you know operating the venue, uh, the ticketing services, of course. Uh, they sponsor artists and they do uh, advertising for those artists' tours. Um, so they really touch everything that you need to put on a live event. Live Nation serves uh, of that market. So they're fu- fully vertically integrated, which is a huge part of their model because they use those other areas of their business, the artist management uh, areas of their business, to really funnel 
where the real profit driver is, which is Ticketmaster, which everybody who's ever been to a live event, I'm sure of any size, has used Ticketmaster. And complained about it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Those Ticketmaster fees are a big part of Live Nation's business model and where they drive their profits from. Yeah, so they have become this dominant player in live entertainment. And I don't think you can really overstate this. The, its strength comes from the very deep roots that it's established up and down the value chain. Um, just to further illustrate what that looks like, so you think about the artists. It uh, the company handled shows for four thousand musicians last year, and it has a management arm with uh, clients that I think the counts around five hundred artists, and these are pretty much some of the biggest names in music, um, from more modern stars to kind of classic stars like Paul McCartney. And then you have the venue. So Live Nation has exclusive booking rights or interests in over 200 of them, some of the most famous and biggest venues in the world. And any of the company operates also generate revenue from concessions, parking, uh, rentals. One number I saw cited, just an example here uh, was that they generated $24 in additional revenue per fan at some of its venues from things like uh, the concessions, uh, VIP uh, seating, things along those lines. And then with the events themselves, uh, Live Nation, they promote uh, festivals as uh, and these different events that allow them to connect with major sponsors, advertise the fact that they have, uh, what was it, 90 million attendees almost to their concerts uh, for last year. It's a big base of people that companies kind of want to connect with in terms of their advertising. And finally, again, with the ticketing and how important Ticketmaster is, 500 million tickets going through that system, about 200 million of which generated fees for the company. So, looking at full year 2017, Live Nation, uh, in their 10K, they mentioned that they grew their estimated number of events over 12% to almost 30,000. Attendance was up over 21% to almost uh, 86 million people. Which I just mentioned, and the total number of tickets that Live Nation sold was up just three percent to about five hundred million. But for those two hundred million or so tickets that generated fees for the company, that volume was up almost ten percent. So we're seeing some pretty strong growth in this kind of broad-based look at the business. Breaking things down further, uh, Live Nation reports uh, reports their revenue and results in three segments, and those are concerts, sponsorship and advertising, and ticketing. So on the top line, uh, the company reported total revenue last year of about $10.3 billion. But the way things shake out on the top line and the way they shake out to their operating profits, essentially, um, doesn't quite uh, follow the same mold. So concerts are the biggest part of their revenue, makes up about three out of every four dollars that the company generates in sales. And that includes uh, promoting and operating these big events and also the artist management side of the business that you mentioned. Ticketing is good for another 20% of revenue, um, so that Ticketmaster dominance brings in about $2.1 billion. And then the sponsorship and advertising, uh, that rounds out the remaining 4 or so percent, with just $450 million. So, And for the year, every one of those segments grew double digits. But when it comes to the profitability and contributions to the bottom line, though, um, again, the businesses break out very differently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you're exactly right, Vince. So, whereas the huge portion of their revenue is generated from their concert segment, it's almost uh, very relatively small uh, when it comes to the, the profits of the, of the business. Um, you're looking at ticketing services, which is only 20% of their overall revenue accounts for almost half um, of their earnings, as well as uh, the advertising uh, segment is only 5% of their overall revenue, but it's 37% of their adjusted operating income. And that really 
draws through where you can see how their business model works. They use this concert segment, their artist management, to really funnel uh, their profits to those other sectors of the business. So, uh, in their in their concert segment, that's going to include you know the actual cost at the gate um, for tickets, whereas uh, the ticketing services revenue, the Ticketmaster angle, is going to be um, those fees that they're charging, those Ticketmaster fees we talked about earlier. You know that extra ten dollars servicing fee, and so when, where that comes through into the business model is that revenue that uh, Ticketmaster or, or that Live Nation is generating on the concert segment is really getting funneled into acquiring these artists and bringing them into the Live Nation ecosystem, and then they can use that artist representation to then push those artists to maybe venues that Live Nation controls or venues that use Ticketmaster for servicing, um, and they can really generate uh, ticketing revenue through those avenues. And then in addition, uh, Live Nation, as, as the sponsors of these artists, is also working out the advertising side of these tours. So, for example, uh, recently Live Nation organized a vodka sponsorship uh, for Lady Gaga's tour that you know, uh, generated some high margin uh, revenue, uh, advertising revenue for the company. So, really, that, that concert segment is how they acquire those big artists, and then they pull that, you know, uh, that those artist acquisitions through the concert segment to really drive profits in the advertising and ticketing segments of the business. Exactly. So all these things uh, they come together. Uh, I've seen people describe it as a flywheel. The you know the strength of this business. Um, I, something I want to mention though specifically in terms of uh, some of the numbers, and if you're looking into the company's financials, Live Nation reports a non-GAAP metric called adjusted operating income or AOI. So this strips out things like acquisition expenses, uh, depreciation and amortization, losses and gains from asset sales, and stock-based compensation for essentially what. Uh, can be considered a cleaner operations-based figure. So, if you use that AOI number, um, again, you'll quickly see uh, that the profit margin, though thin for concerts, it's much stronger for ticketing, and it's phenomenal for sponsorship and advertising. And this all works into the way that you know, those big concerts are needed to uh, f- uh, draw the business and the volume down to those other more profitable segments. And Coming up, we are going to continue to look a little bit at the financials and then consider the few but, I think, significant risks for Live Nation and then share some of our final thoughts for the company. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms you carry and use every day. Now, all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa or message them on Facebook to stay on top of the markets. Learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com innovation. All right, last couple things for us to discuss from the numbers that I think are worth noting. First, there's some, how do we describe it, added complexity to the leadership and organizational structure for Live Nation because Liberty Media, headed by John Malone, has a 34% stake in Live Nation. And on the income statement, you'll see a line for net income attributable to non controlling interests. And that's kind of how the Liberty stake manifests itself, not to mention in distributions, about $46 million last year to those non controlling interests. We're going to probably talk about the Liberty relationship a, little, uh, a bit more. Uh, Later on in the show, in terms of some speculation that's come about, but Nick, you also signaled to me a somewhat high debt balance for the company. But is that something that really worries you? 
Uh, at this time, it doesn't really concern me in a major way. I mean, if you look at the the company's uh, debt to equity, it's it's about 165 percent. So you look at that number, and it, it looks scary, to, uh, you know, at first glance. But when you take into account that you know in 2017, free cash flow grew, free cash flow uh, grew about 81 percent, and we're continuing to see double digit growth across the business. Uh, the company is really in a good place to. You know, drive growth, and we're also seeing growth in live events, like we talked about last week with Eventbrite. So uh, their business is growing, and they're continuing to, going to continue to grow free cash flow. So I don't think that debt balance is going to be a major long-term concern. Yeah, and this is a case where uh, the cash flows really do sh- end up shedding more light on the health of the Live Nation business than their straight earnings, which over the past several years they've had they've been in the red several, um, for quite a few of those years. But free cash flow, like you said, has been growing. I think it was five hundred million dollars in the trailing twelve month period, um, even though net income again shows that negative value. Um, and with uh, I think I saw ninety million dollars of annual interest payments, but that five hundred uh, million dollars of net debt again. Given that strong cash flow, it's not too big of a concern to me in that context. Um, so, you know, we've covered the fundamental strength of the Live Nation business model and looked at kind of how the things break down in terms of their income statement, in terms of their balance sheet. They have this industry leading scale and reach, which means a lot of synergy between the various segments. And if you control enough major venues and have the reach that Live Nation does, including in regions outside the United States, you attract the biggest artists. Artists um, that sells more tickets to event goers, which makes sponsorships and ads to your events that much more attractive. So everything comes together really nicely. Um, but let's look at the flip side now, in terms of the kind of the bear case. What do you think is the number one risk that investor needs to consider here? Yeah, I think the biggest risk for Live Nation is really regulatory. Um, and that's been ever going back all the way to 2010 when Live Nation merged with Ticketmaster. They've been under a consent decree uh, from the Department of Justice about how they should operate the business. And you know they had to had to divest some assets and license some of their IP as part of that consent decree. But the real uh, kind of sticky point of that uh, of that consent decree that which is still relevant today is that uh, the way Live Nation bundles its services together. Um, can raise some some regulatory red flags. So, Live Nation, under the, cons- the consent decree, is allowed to bundle its services together in any combination, but is not allowed to punish any venue that it may do ticketing services for, um, for not uh, or, or maybe a potential ticket services customer. Excuse me, is not allowed to punish uh, those those people who may not choose Ticketmaster as their ticketing services company, which is again a huge part of Live Nation's um, profit driver. Uh, if an arena or a venue doesn't choose uh, uh, Live Nation for their ticketing services, they're not they can't punish them uh, by not driving artists to those venues and those sorts of things. And there have been some accusations uh, earlier this year. I believe it was March. The New York Times had a report out uh, saying that uh, some of uh, Live Nation's biggest competitors had alleged that Live Nation was in fact doing that. Um, was if a, a venue did not choose uh, to use Ticketmaster for their ticketing services, then Live Nation would divert artists away uh, from those venues and just really deprive them of, of the big events that Live Nation drives. Um, so that is, if Live Nation were to be uh, investigated and you know found guilty of doing these, these sorts of practices, uh, it would uh, obviously significantly impact the business. There'd be some regulatory uh, fees and regulatory, and perhaps they could be broken up. Um, 
I think if we're actually looking at the likelihood of that sort of thing being proven, it's a very difficult case to prove. Uh, if Live Nation, Live Nation can divert artists away uh, using their management arm, if they can just come up with any kind of reasonable business purpose why they would do those sorts of things. So It's I think, a very tough hurdle for the regulators it's, it's to overcome, essentially. Correct. It's a very difficult legal standard. So, it's a risk that's there, but I think realistically, seeing what uh, would have to be proved in court, uh, I don't think it's a risk that is going to materialize. I think they're in a very good position. Uh, the one way this risk could come in, and we may talk about this later, we were talking about the Liberty Media rumors, if there were some kind of merger sort of situation where there's going to be that FTC DOJ review from an antitrust perspective, that could bring a risk into the company with that added scrutiny of you know their business practices. You know, what, let's just jump right into that. Now you mentioned it. Uh, we've seen, so we know um, about this Liberty Media, uh, the stake that they have, 34% in Live Nation. And there's been talks for some time now about uh, the big empire that John Malone controls. Uh, also includes parts of SiriusXM, for example. How things might get rolled together there. Again, this is you know, this is more in the rumor mill than anything. But what would that look like? Sure. So, so the rumor is, and, and Liberty CEO Greg Maffei has stated this explicitly on a number of occasions that he would like to bring that kind of media empire together and streamline it. Um, what it would look like, it would be a merger or some kind of combination between SiriusXM and Live Nation. And what would be attractive about that from a business perspective is you have SiriusXM, which as a business is generating free cash flow, but there's really not anywhere else to deploy it you know, within their core business. Um, and you've got Live Nation, which as we discussed, is relatively highly levered so, and is in the same industry. So, it would make sense if they were combined that you could use uh, Sirius's free cash flow to help drive that continued growth from Live Nation and to help that debt perspective, and as well, you know there was the synergies that are, that are obvious and that they're both in the music business and they can do some cross promotion there. Um, but again, as I mentioned earlier, I think while there is some merits to that from a business perspective, I think the regulatory risk uh, would probably be higher um, under those circumstances. So if, if I were a Live Nation shareholder. You know, I'd be perfectly fine with the business operating as it currently does. I think it's in a great position to continue driving growth um, just through the synergies in the vertical integration of the business. Yeah, again, uh, if we haven't painted this uh, picture clear enough already uh, with ticketing, you know, this uh, this ticket master part of the business is really a force to be reckoned with. Um, and as a uh, as a potential shareholder, I think the risk is. Relatively small in terms of the regula- regulatory side, given that they are a bit hamstrung by some of the vague guidance in that consent decree that you mentioned. Um, but and as a consumer, though, uh, I know that I'm not the only person who bal- uh, balks at the high service fees that Ticketmaster often charges. Um, there aren't that many viable al- alternatives for these large popular events. So, kind of be a, kind of a conflicting situation there as a shareholder and as a consumer. Uh, not necessarily the best. Um, not exactly the competitive environment that we want to see. But with competition, too, uh, related to that, there are a few other established players that operate and promote uh, events for these kind of mega venues or these major venues. Um, two that came up in our search were the Madison Square Garden Company, ticker MSG, and then uh, Anschutz Entertainment Group, or AEG, which is private. How do they square up here in ter- uh, against Live Nation? In, just off the bat, we know market share wise, not even close. But in terms of business models and just their place in the industry, you know, what do you think? Sure. So when you're looking at you know Madison Square Garden as a business, they're they're primarily a venue operator. I mean, they own, I believe they own stakes in the New York Knicks and, and things like that. But mm-hmm. they're primarily a venue operator. They own 
of course, obviously Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, the Beacon Theater, some very, very large, well-known uh, venues across the United States. When it comes to competition with, ticket, uh, with uh, Live Nation, however, Live Nation provides the ticketing services for all those venues for Madison Square Garden. Um, so, I don't view them as a major competitive obstacle to Live Nation because mm-hmm. Live Nation is already has their most most profitable business, uh, you know, driving. They've already established out of that relationship, yeah. Right, and then AEG from a similar perspective, I would say they're the number two live event promoter in the world behind Live Nation. They're much more of a venue operator. Have some presences in Europe. Uh, they operate the Coachella Music Festival, so they operate some significant um, aspects. But their their ticketing service, which is AXS or Access, I'm not sure. Uh, the correct pronunciation is nowhere near uh, the size of Ticketmaster's network, um, so they're just really not in a position to overtake Live Nation because Ticketmaster is such a large network and so ingrained. Um, it, from my perspective, Live Nation seems to be in a league of its own. Okay, so and maybe that speaks to my next question for you. Um, you know, we have a minute or two left. I'm ultimately curious where you stand then. Uh, you've had a chance to dig into this stock, into this company. Are you are you sold? Like, is this something that you would consider adding to your portfolio? Uh, yes, I would. I think just just looking at the company, it, the way all of its segments you know operate together, it really creates a virtuous cycle. If they they're the largest player in the industry, so they can pay the largest incentives uh, to the largest artists and bring in the most dominant artists in the industry. They can drive those artists. Like we discussed earlier, to the other portions of their business mm-hmm. to drive more profits, which creates more profits, which allows them to pay even more to acquire the best artists, and it just creates a virtuous cycle that I don't see anyone else in the industry displacing without some activity from a regulatory perspective. Uh, they are in a growing industry, as we as we spoke about. You know, millennials, people in our generation, are much more inclined to attend live events uh, than maybe previous generations might have been. And they're trading at 20 times free cash flow versus a market average in the 30s. So, I mean, you have there's just there's a lot to like here, um, and there's really not a lot of major competitive obstacles. So, from my perspective, I think it's a wonderful business. Yeah, in a, you mentioned this, and we talked about kind of the bigger picture tailwinds. Um, we talked about Eventbrite, but in general, you know, growth of live event attendance. Um, given that tailwind. Whether you're someone looking for the 800-pound gorilla, which is Live Nation here, or you prefer kind of the broad creator base and the diversity of events that Eventbrite serves, I think there is just a lot to like in the long-term prospects for this industry overall and the different players here. Um, so for the Eventbrite IPO, um, you know our recommendation, going back to that, remains you know wait and see for a few quarters. But to the company's credit. Now that we've had a chance to dig into both companies, I'm actually a little bit more convinced that the middle market lane that Eventbrite occupies can thrive with less risk of intrusion from Live Nation, just based on the scale that Live Nation tends to operate at. Uh, it's harder to see. It's harder to see the case for them to get into events where you know the average. What was the average attendee uh, count? Like seventy or something. The mid sixties for yeah for Eventbrite. Yeah, you know we're talking about thousands of people uh, at these venues usually where Live Nation has established its its foothold, and so this middle market lane for Eventbrite, I'm seeing as something that's much more sustainable, um, but. Before we sign off, anything else you'd like to add for the industry or anything? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you, events, just that the area that Eventbrite operates in is a nice middle market away from 
you know, away from you know the dangers of Live Nation and those big players. And the analogy that I would give is, you know, college football just started this weekend. We'll have the NFL um, coming up next week. That you know, Eventbrite is college football. That's a big business. There's a lot of um, opportunities to make money in that space. Live Nation is the NFL. There's a lot of chances to make money there as well. Um, so whichever you would like, I mean, I think both businesses really have good opportunities to thrive and grow and resonate uh, with customers going forward. Awesome. Uh, thank you again uh, for joining us. It's awesome to have you on the team now. Thanks so much. I enjoy being on every time and look forward to uh, joining you in the future. Sweet. Fools, thank you for tuning in. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and their Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Hold on. Thank you.